even libertarians. We even. <laughs> Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Averkula, and we are going to cover the big stories of the week for the last week of January 2021 that have appeared on thisiscommonsense.org. Paul Jacob has been writing commentary at thisiscommonsense.org since 1999. Even libertarians, doesn't it just kind of, it just, it, it rolls off the tongue, although with a lot of like, I don't know, even libertarians. And of course, what we're talking about is that John Brennan, former CIA director, deep state, you know, uh, Hall of Fame member, uh, decided that uh, there's a lot of folks who need to be investigated and looked into and surveilled. And of course, this is a guy who, while he was at the CIA, there sure was a lot of uh, a lot of information scooped up about Americans. We think of the NS NSA, but uh, you know the the whole deep state. Uh, you know, people like Brennan and Clapper. Uh, you know, I, I think they I think they should have charges to to answer for. Uh, Clapper perjury for one for lying to Congress. I think John Brennan lied to Congress about spying on the Senate, right? That was a famous scandal in his That's time, right. right. That is correct. So uh, usually I'm not big. Usually don't open with the politicians I'd like to prosecute, um, and they aren't really politicians. They're they're what spies or you know what do you what do you call them? Disinformation agents. That's there you go. That's a good term. Anyway, we're going to talk about that whole issue and about why Brennan said even libertarians. But first, I want to just mention a few of the other commentaries from this week that I think you might want to go see. And today's, we, we take this on Friday night uh, for Saturday and Sunday, uh, the audio on Saturday, the, the uh, video on Sunday. Uh, so that we take like a 24 hour period to airbrush everything. And that, no, I'm kidding. But uh, but today's commentary, Friday, the 29th of January, uh, was called Grace the Notes. And at this is commonsense.org. You can go there. You can see it. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you all the twists and turns in this particular commentary, but I will say this. The question is, who should be on our $20 bill? Should it be President Andrew Jackson or should it be Harriet Tubman? And the, the answer is determined by which one of those folks is a better person. And that's why, well, go to the commentary, but that's why I just wonder can we can we do that to Harriet Tubman? Could we stick her on a Federal Reserve note? I mean, Jackson deserves it anyway. I'm going way too much into it. But here here's the other angle that you're going to be interested in. If you go to thisiscommonsense.org and grace the notes, where does Dick Nixon come into all this? And he plays a role. So I encourage you to go see that one. Uh, thisiscommonsense.org. We also want, you know, I think kind of my favorite story of the week, which you brought uh, to me, Tim, was Diner's Rebellion. Uh, and it was about not riots, not unrest, 
not violence or vandalism or looting, but good old-fashioned civil disobedience. Not protest, really. Didn't have time for protest. They were going to have some nice dinners in Italy. Italy has, you know, been hit by uh, the pandemic hard. And, uh, and Italy is a place that's fun to visit because it's a fun place to go out to eat. It's a, just a great culture, a great environment. And they like that. And they have decided that they don't want to give it up. And, uh, and go read about it. There are links to go hear the people uh, chanting liberty and basically uh, browbeating government agents out of a particular restaurant uh, that was opened illegally, serving illegal restaurant customers. So anyway, you'll be interested in that. And the whole point of the commentary, which I guess we should mention to people, is, uh, and, and I think most of the people who listen to us uh, realize this, but a lot of people don't realize it because it's not in the news very much. And that is that around the world, there have been all kinds of protests, uh, some of them violent and and unrest and vandalism and and so on. Not much looting, uh, but but all kinds of unrest around the world in Germany, in France, in where was it? Uh, somewhere in South America just the other day. Uh, there are a lot of protests against lockdowns. People are not meant to be imprisoned. That's not the idea. And that's what a lockdown is. And we have said kind of from day one, the response to this should be two things, freedom and information. Give people the information you have honestly. I know that's a, that's a big leap. Uh, for people in government, but honestly provide the information and then allow people to be free without aggressing on each other, without damaging one another in some foolish way, but just in normal everyday life to be free to act as they want to act so that people who need to take certain precautions take those precautions. Others who can't afford to sit in their home for the next six months and watch their business go down the tubes or what have you, or, or be unable to pay the rent or go to school or do all the things people want to do. Uh, we need freedom. And that's, that's, and, and the, the truth is we'll talk a little bit about uh, freedom and coronavirus pandemic uh, at the very end when we talk a little bit about uh, China. Um, the other commentary uh, this week that we're just going to mention briefly is the great school reset. And, you know, in the news right now, there's the Davos, Switzerland virtual event uh, where billionaires and government officials and big shots uh, get together and, uh, and they talk about what to do with this world, what to do with our world. And, uh, and it just, it, you know, it strikes me as, as so funny that one of the big problems in our world is supposedly, it's not, I don't have a problem with it, is income inequality. Um, and I don't have a problem with it because, you know, I get, I get money, I, I work hard to get it. If I want more, I got to work harder to get more. Um, somebody has more, that's really not, you know, nothing I can do about that. I, it doesn't hurt my feelings uh, too much. 
And uh, and if someone has less, well, geez, I'm sorry, but you know, if I can help, I'll help. If I can't, I won't. I don't feel like I have a a duty to you know make sure that everybody in the neighborhood has the same amount, or everybody in the world, or the country, or the state, or the city. Um, but the very people, and I think about you know Warren Buffett saying his taxes should go up, and and realizing that. You know, and saying that his secretary pays a higher percentage than he does. Well, well, then if he wants his taxes to go up, why wouldn't he write a check? Why is he playing some mouth games with us? This guy's a wealthy guy. He could write a, a big check and never feel it. So why is he playing some political game? That's worth asking. And all these other folks who want this reset to somehow shape up our world economy, I think it's a little bit like one of the big stories we didn't get to this week, the GameStop and the, and the uh, stock trading, where in essence, uh, boy, if all of a sudden the stock trading goes against the big guys, they may have to close down the market. And I think that's what we're looking at in terms of the Great Reset. Uh, that is not to create wealth equality. It seems to me that that's a lot of rich people trying to figure out how we can't have an equal shot to uh, get as rich as they are, uh, or at least to have as much freedom as they have, even if it's in our, you know, our lowly abode and, you know, driving our Honda Civic uh, that's got 100,000 miles on it. Hey, we want that freedom. And, uh, and it seems to me that every time there's talk of a reset, it's about more government control and less freedom. And, you know, I think about this, I was thinking about this as I was preparing that, you know, even Congress people who talk about that, like I think of AOC and she's going to help the poor people. So AOC is richer than you, richer than me, richer than almost every, you know, I mean, she's got to be in the one, two, three, four, five percent of Americans. Uh, anybody in Congress is in income. In, in yearly income, uh, congressional salaries are $175,000, I think. And they bitch and moan about it. But, you know, most people in America don't make $175,000. If their family has two, two income earners, they don't make $175,000. So, you know, these are wealthy people who are always going to help us. And then, dang it, just like Lucy in the football, we never get helped. The poor never become non-poor. And the rich never become poor. They stay rich. So it's just interesting. Now, we're talking about a school reset. And, and you should go there. It's called the Great School Reset. I'm, I always tell too much about them even when I'm supposed to you know, not, not take so much time. But I have to. What's interesting is that in this pandemic, education has been so abandoned by the government because the teachers unions are so powerful that one, politicians are scared to cross them. And even if they cross them, they may just strike and not show up anyway. And I'll tell you what, when they come back to work, they're going to get every penny for the time period they weren't working. Every penny, not every penny they deserve, every penny that they would have gotten had they worked night and day. And, and so the reality is people have had to scramble to get education and they're creating, 
you know, what they've called learning pods and, and all kinds of different ways to educate themselves. And I think that that may turn out to be something really neat. And maybe in the same way that education has always been the excuse why you need big government and more money and always more money because you have to educate every kid and you got to make sure it's world class and everything else. We all we all want that. But that's been their, you know, their calling card. This is why we are so relevant. And then the pandemic comes and they kind of go, yeah, well, we can't get to it. Um, and of course, I, I say that it'd be different if schools were like leading the, you know, schools were where the uh, COVID-19 was spreading like wildfire. There's been no noticeable spread from young people in, in K through 12 education. So anyway, um, but we point out maybe we could have a reset for freedom. Uh, and you and I and others that we know could work together to do that. So go read that one. And uh, even libertarians should go read that. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine, an attorney, who is definitely not a libertarian, who is a very hardcore conservative. One of the, one of the people I know, I think of everybody I know, probably the most adamantly anti-drug legalization. So that's a big split between libertarians and conservatives and and also much more hawkish than libertarians tend to be. But told me how respectful he is of libertarians. And I think the reason that he is respectful of libertarians is because, you know, down deep, he his his motivation in politics is freedom and that we have something in America that's just beautiful and rare and, and needs to be protected and that's freedom. And whatever you know about libertarians, you know that they like freedom. They're not totalitarians. They're not gonna, you know, bust in your home and take your stuff. I mean, individual crook libertarians, fine. they're not really libertarians. Anyway, uh, it, it's the sort of thing where I find that same connection on the left. Not everywhere on the left, just like not everywhere on the right. Uh, the left, it seems, has become increasingly not for free speech. I mean, the, old, the, the ACLU that defended the rights of Nazis to march in Skokie, Illinois. Uh, you know, Skokie's not worse off for that whole controversy. Um, it's better off. And I, I actually uh, have relatives that live in Skokie. And um, it's that the ACLU would defend that showed how much they cared about free speech and how much they understood that if you're trying to protect free speech, if you're just going to protect the speech that everybody likes, you're not really doing anything. That's not what free speech is about. It's about all the speech. And, um, and so there's a tremendous connection, I think, with a lot of people on the left if they're civil libertarians. But... You know, as a libertarian, that's what I'm always looking for. Um, I work a lot of times with people on the left, people on the right. I want to work with people on the left or the right where I see that connection to freedom. And we might disagree about tax rates or different things, but the idea of the government just 
pushing people around and having undue power and they're not being uber protected rights uh, is a real problem. And and uh, that's something we should all be united on. And it seems to me that that's where that's the scariest thing that's going on is this idea that that what what people, you know, from the ACLU to, you know, the John Birch Society or something, you know, you had this huge you know, spectrum of people who believed in basic free speech and that that was not just found, you know, occasionally it was found all across the spectrum. And um, and I think I think we've lost a lot of that. And it brings us to even libertarians. Uh, This was uh, if my eyesight isn't too bad. This was uh, Tuesday's piece or was it Wednesday's piece? No, it was Tuesday's. Uh, but it's about the fact that uh, John Brennan had been asked about uh, this idea of, you know, this domestic terrorism, this big fear. There was an article the other day after this ran uh, uh, at thisiscommonsense.org. There was an article in the Post, and uh, it it talked about this uh, statement that the Department of Homeland Security put out that just made it clear they were concerned about domestic extremists causing some sort of, uh, you know, insurrection, violent action, something. And it noted that there had been violent actions post January 6th. And you know, I immediately thought, well, wait a second. What violent actions have there been post-January 6th? Well, I'll bet you know, Tim, because of the area of the country that you live, uh, very close to Portland, Oregon, uh, in Washington State. And and I won't give you your address. <laughs> I was going to pinpoint the map. Tim's right here. Thankfully, <laughs> I'm, I'm neither in Seattle nor in Portland nor directly in between. That's, yes. that's the hint I can get. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but of course there's been tremendous violence and uh and and a continuation of that. Uh which which does show that we're dealing with people who are who are not just Democrats. They're uh, way to the left of the of the Democratic Party. Um but but it seems to me that this whole push I am uh, I think we need to defend uh, institutions. Like I, I, you know, I'm. I thought in Portland that the federal government has a right to say no, we're not going to let you burn down our building. Just like I have a right to say I'm not going to let you burn down my house. And, and you know, I'm not going to let you. You know, if someone owns a store, I'm not going to let you burn down my store. That's not. That's not why I've been working so hard. Um, and and. You know, so I'm I'm not opposed in any way. I'm I think it was silly that the Capitol Police and that whole situation that they weren't more prepared. Now I wasn't expecting something, but I certainly think you know you want to be kind of prepared for. You don't want to kind of go well. I don't think anything's going to happen, so we're giving you all the police the day off, uh, or or just let anyone in. You know, I mean, I think they had certain uh, instructions not to let the crowd into the Capitol, because, of course, the crowd was much bigger than could fit in the Capitol, kind of. And you don't allow huge crowds to just overrun a, a you know, a Capitol. 
uh, or my house or anyway. And, and so um, it seems to me that there's all kinds of things that need to be done now. Now, they're talking about, you know, they built a quick fence around the Capitol. They're talking about making that permanent. Now, why would you put a big fence around the Capitol? Because you had you had one incident in decades and decades and decades. I mean, well, why would you put a big fence around the Capitol? Well, I I don't know. Uh, maybe they're expecting a uh, much more violent response to their policies than I'm expecting. But I'm not expecting their policies to warrant, you know, violent reprisals. Are they? Uh, it's a good question to ask. I think they are. <laughs> it's, uh, I'll tell you, this idea, now, now Brennan lists a whole group of, of folks, um, and he's saying that, uh, you know, religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, racists, nativists, even libertarians. Well, I think if you look at kind of those other groups, there's, there's just not much, you know, how you see the little circles and they overlap. There's not much overlap. There's like libertarians over here and, and geez, I don't know. I mean, I, a few of us may be religious extremists, depending on what your definition is. But um, this is, this is a setting it up to explain why we have to start surveilling specific groups. They've already, without any true authorization, unconstitutionally stolen everybody in the country's emails, social media posts, phone calls, bank records. This we already know. Supposedly they've been stopped, although you know, the guys at the at the computer terminal at the NSA, I don't know who's standing over their shoulder to stop them. No one told them to start. So, you know, I, I kind of worry about that. But this is a little bit different. This is to do more than simply scoop up every bit of information on us. This, it sounds to me, is more designed to infiltrate, to, and, and they already do that to a large degree. One of the, uh, one of the things that really struck me when I was a uh, teenager, young 20 something, is that a number of us uh, read the uh, rights in conflict. I think it may have been the Warren report. I know the Warren report was Nixon, but this may have been somebody named Warren too or something. Maybe it was the Walker report. I don't know. But it was the report that Congress did, had done. They, they never do anything. They had done. Uh, about what happened in Chicago in 68 with uh, the riots, the police riot uh, around the Democratic National Convention. And there were several incidents in which, uh, one, somebody burned a flag, and that led to a mass melee where the police came in and beat everybody up and so on and so on. Well, it turns out after the investigation that the guy who lit the flag on fire was a federal agent. And so often the, the federal, federal agents infiltrating these sorts of groups 
are encouraging violence because they don't want to wait around forever. They came in to bust the people who are going to be violent. And if you're going to take all day to get violent, if I've got to infiltrate you for year after year after year and you won't even smash anything or commit any crime, well, I'm wasting my time as a federal agent. And so, you know, the truth is there, I think that's not the only reason that they do it. But you can almost see that, of course, they're looking for that. And they constantly, in in case after case through decades, you've got federal agents encouraging violence. And it's a, it's, it's a huge, huge problem in terms of turning what are political movements and have every right to go agitate in every way they want that's peaceful into movements that are not as successful because they now have this violent splinter caused by my tax dollars being sucked up and spent on people to infiltrate those groups. That's not freedom. That's, you know, it, it, it's, it's the violent side of the, you know, it's, it's one of the, the scandals that most people in the media and on the left don't believe was a scandal was the, uh, IRS refusing to grant uh, uh, nonprofit status to conservative Tea Party groups, so on and so on. And of course, people say, well, there were some liberal groups. Yes, there were. There were like two or three compared to the hundred plus that were, you know, it was that sort of thing. It was totally aimed at Tea Party groups and it was designed to block them from organizing politically and being effective. That's a crime. That's a civil rights violation. And well, nobody was prosecuted. No, they weren't. Because Loris, uh, I forget his last name. It's on the, I want to say Cloris Leachman died this week. And I can't. Lois Lerner. Lois Lerner. Boy, Cloris Leachman's wonderful actress. Anyway, Lois Lerner is not a wonderful anything except a wonderful, just terrible public non-servant. And she was the head of that department of the IRS. She also, years earlier, was at the FEC when they started to launch outrageous investigations of groups like U.S. term limits, where they found no wrongdoing, but claimed that there was wrongdoing anyway, even though they didn't do anything about it because they couldn't do anything because there was none. This is how the FEC works. Uh, and I won't go into a long thing on that. Uh, I probably should at some point because I'm sure that from that explanation, people go, I don't know what he's talking about. But we got a complaint on something just as a short shorthand here during the term limits effort. And what we had done is said this person signed our term limits pledge. This person did not. And they claimed that it was some violation. It was no violation. They didn't follow up on it, but then sent out a press release. And they do this all the time saying that they're not going to prosecute, but that they think there was a violation. Just a completely outrageous thing for a government agency to do. We're not going to go after you because we don't have a shred of evidence you did anything wrong, but we still think you violated some weird, you know, idea of the law. Anyway, so I knew of Lois Lerner before she ever got to the IRS. When she was at the IRS in charge of nonprofit groups is when all this happened, where they were blocking people from getting politically involved. 
But these sorts of things take a relatively free and democratic country to being not free and not democratic. If the people in power are actively subverting groups by infiltrating them, by surveilling them, by trying to browbeat them into silence in every way, shape, and form. There's a lot of private actions, people who are going to be fired because they somehow, there was a a thing, I may write something about it, uh, some guy who was on Parler, he didn't do anything wrong on Parler, but he was on that and was fired from his job because of it. Um, Parler being a social media site that that allows people to say what they want to say, for the most part, and uh, and and so these sorts of actions that are aimed at policing politics before any crime has been committed and silencing alternative voices, this is a huge problem. We cannot go down that road and be a free and democratic country. And, um, and so, you know, the, the idea that people like Brennan are going to be, uh, you know, strategizing on how to protect the country, it's not about protecting the country, it's about protecting the deep state, the political class. Uh, it's, it's kind of the uh, poor man's US only version of Davos, I think. Well, that may be out there. But of course, Brennan is just, he's just a talking head on MSNBC with connections to some of the most powerful people on the planet. But aside from that, uh, he's, uh, maybe he's he's there to just to, to get people to watch MSNBC. I don't know. But uh, Well, I'll tell you what, remember the big controversy, because wasn't it Brennan who lost, and maybe it was Clapper too, that, that uh, Trump at one point took the uh, security clearance away? That's my memory. But I'll tell you what. I think I think as I was starting to do stuff on my first day, if I were president, I'd say, oh, wait, 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 wait. Before we do that, let's take away the security clearance of Clapper and Brennan. In fact, almost all of these guys, unless I think I'm going to need them for some consultation and need them to be aware of exactly what's happening, why should some private citizen be given all kinds of secrets, especially because... They're trading on that. That's why they're on TV. That's their whole career. And uh, and especially when they're people that I don't trust as far as I could throw them. Uh, I would have taken, if I were Trump, I would have taken Brennan's security clearance away and given them to Snowden. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, the truth is uh, that that's the other. I certainly would have brought Snowden home with a full pardon. Uh, which he hasn't even asked for. He's, he's basically said he would come back if they would take the, the death penalty off the table and, and not charge under this ridiculous uh, 1917 law where he doesn't get to basically defend himself. Uh, but it, to me, that's the most ridiculous prosecution anyway. A, a judge has already said, you folks right. were violating the law. You guys violated the rights of 300 some odd million people but this guy, Snowden, you know, all he did was to say, I have a job where they are having me violate people's rights. I got to come clean and uh, and did. But, you know, uh, 
we're a week plus into the Biden administration. Uh, I think, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's scary in lots of respects. One key area I was worried about and still am, you know, a, a week doesn't make all the difference was where would Biden come down on China? The Obama Biden administration, which, of course, when the vice president is running for president, oh, he was a key part of everything. But I don't you know, I don't believe that he made too many of the decisions uh, that were made. But I don't know. Anyway, we don't know exactly how much credit blame he deserves when it comes to China. It's not just Obama. It was Bush before him and it was Clinton before him. Uh, and then it was Bush before him and Reagan before him and Carter and, and Ford and all the way back to, to Nixon, in essence. Um, not that there was anything wrong with opening up relations with China. Just don't sell out to China. Uh, and, and I think we have, uh, you know, turned the other, the, looked the other way on China on all kinds of things. And Biden thus far has been very forceful, which I think is important. You know, the Chinese are, are flying, you know, into Taiwanese airspace on a regular basis. They're making all kinds of threats. Uh, and, and Biden invited for the first time since 1979, since relations were, were broken with uh, the Republic of China, Taiwan, and and switch to the People's Republic, uh, the Chinazis, who weren't necessarily Chinazis then. They were, I think, just straight out kind of communist, murderous, crazy people. Uh, now they're much more kind of a a, uh, a Nazi-like society in in a lot of ways, uh, which is why the Hong Kongers call them Chinazis, and I think it's it's the best term. Um, a lot of people call them chai comms, but they're they're just not really communists in the in the way you usually think about it. Uh, maybe their viciousness, the, you know, the amount of people that they put in jail, uh, the million plus Uyghurs who were in concentration camps. But it it's it it is good, I think, to see that uh, there is so much opposition now to what China is all about. Uh, that it's a it's a bipartisan view that they're a danger to the world and uh and, and i don't i don't say that we're not a danger sometimes to the world because we are sometimes uh but i think that they're a danger to their own people and there's i i, I joined this webinar uh that was uh put on and i'm gonna forget their name again but it's the bastiat society that's associated with uh, uh american institute for economic research, I believe that that's right? what the AIER stands for. AIER. We've we've quoted them on numerous things. Very libertarian, and and uh, you know a lot of their economic stuff is is very good. But this particular was Jeff Tucker part of that uh, webinar. No, no. Uh, but it just seemed to be a view that hey, China's a different system. Um. You know, they argue that they're doing, you know, they're helping the Uyghurs economically in other ways and so on. And, uh, I, you know, my head just about exploded. It, it's 
you know. And I, I commented that, look, you, you can say that maybe they believe that. I don't believe that they think they're helping the Uyghurs for a moment. I mean, any more than the than the the concentration camp guards in Germany. They may have thought they had nothing to do except stay there because if they did anything, you know, they'd be shot or something. But none of them thought they were helping the Jews. And to hear someone suggest that it just it's just crazy. And and also there's always the suggestion that, well, China isn't a threat to their neighbors. Well, part of the reason they're not a threat to their neighbors, neighbors in quotes, is because they take them over, claim that they're them, that basically this is our greater China. And, you know, anyone who knows the actual history of Taiwan used to be Formosa. It was a Dutch colony that, you know, the fact that that the Japanese held it from 1895 to 1945, the end of the war. Uh, and the truth is, I think I think Taiwan would vote. Uh, to be part of Japan before they'd vote to be part of, of uh, you know, uh, the CCP-run China. Uh, but the, the, the view, I think, in, in America is, well, that's just Chiang Kai-shek, and the, it was always part of China, and because of the civil war between the communists and Chiang Kai-shek's nationalists, the nationalists went to Taiwan, and they stayed on Taiwan, and it's really part of one China. Well, what that what that ignores is that, first of all, uh, Chiang Kai-shek's people coming over to Taiwan, that's 14 percent of the population. That's not a huge chunk of the population. There was population there before. And in between being overrun by the Portuguese and the Dutch and the Japanese and the Chinese. And of course, they speak Chinese. There uh, many of them of Chinese descent or at least you know, a certain part of their DNA came from people who came from China uh, and, and others from islands in the Pacific and so on. But just because you're overrun by different uh, countries, that doesn't give those countries any real right over your land and over you. And uh, there, Pat Buchanan wrote a piece this week and he asked the question, uh, pointing out that Nixon had pretty much agreed there's one China and, you know, and uh, it, we, we want it to be peacefully reunited, but there's one China. Well, I don't care what Dick Nixon, Dick Nixon can say there's one China or there's 50. He doesn't decide it either. But Pat Buchanan asked the question, who does Taiwan belong to? And the answer is just so simple. The Taiwanese. That's who it belongs to. And you know what? If the people in the North don't want to be with the people of the South, they can separate it. And then they can, you know, I'm for self-determination to the nth degree. But the idea that Taiwan belongs to anybody other than the Taiwanese is just an insane idea. And it's justified because, you know, this dynasty or that dynasty took it over at this point. No, that's not how it works. And the truth is, uh, when I went to Taiwan uh, uh, two years ago, uh, I read a history of it. And one of the things that I uh, found was that when I think it was there was some like just break of literally like three weeks 
between one invader and another invader coming in which they declared independence in which the people there, in other words, and the people there by all the polls show, and especially it's a, it's a young old split, but it's overwhelming. Uh, and even older people are more and more identifying as Taiwanese, not as Chinese, but it's up to them. And, and what can the U.S. do? You know, I haven't been the biggest proponent of the U.S. as world policemen. I don't want to police the world. I do think that we want a world in which free countries connect with each other when there is a threat. And I happen to think that the CCP is the biggest threat in the world today. It, you know, and, and it, and in part of this webinar, they talked about how terrible it was. Iraq was terrible, us invading Iraq. It was, it was, this, it was not only terrible, it was also incredibly stupid. Uh, I think it's stupid that we're still in Afghanistan. I think those are, are not only not good things to do, but stupid things to do. But it doesn't mean that we're the same threat as a place where they put people in concentration camps, where if they decide they don't like your religion, you don't get to practice it. Where not only you don't get to practice it, but they put you in prison. And while you're in prison, they harvest your organs. Um, this is a is a regime that is just evil in every way, and their respect for the rule of law zero, their respect for human rights zero. They respect one thing, and that is making money. And so you have if if your idea of capitalist is just making money and creating more and more capital, well then maybe they're capitalist in that sense. Uh, but they are totalitarians who want to gain more and more wealth and power and who have, uh, you know, the Uyghurs, Tibet, Hong Kong, Hong Kong. They voted, they voted a year ago in local elections. 87% of the candidates winning were pro-democracy candidates. It's the first time pro-democracy candidates had ever won. That's why there's a national security law. Oh, they had to because of the protests. No, they had to because they couldn't hold any sort of an election without getting trounced, just trounced. They don't believe in elections. No wonder you get trounced that bad all the time. You start to not like them very much. And of course, there's never been a real uh, election with suffrage uh, in, in China. So... Anyway, this we have we have a real threat out there. I'm not advocating that that we do anything crazy. I don't have all the answers for how you stop China. But I do think we have to recognize reality. We have to keep our eyes open. And if I had been alive when Hitler was running Germany, I would not want to buy products made in Germany. I would not want to do anything to help that country. And um, now some people and libertarians among them might argue, we hurt them more by not trading with them. We'll help them by trading with them. I don't think so. And I think if I were living in that slave state, that I would be praying that people outside would do whatever they could 
to undermine the government that was holding me down. And I note specifically that democracy activists in Hong Kong, at great risk to themselves to say it publicly, because they knew that national security law was coming in, but folks like Joshua Wong and others have come out and said, please do not allow China to gain economically. Do not allow Hong Kong to be used as a place to do business with the West while our rights are being smashed. And I think we have to, we have to look at that. And, uh, and I know I, I don't want to do any, anything that could help the Chinese regime. I want to decouple my economy from them in every way that I possibly can. And I could be wrong, but I think I'm doing the very best I could do for anybody caught in that horrible system. Well, that was This Week in Common Sense. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for the last week of January 2021. This is This Week in Common Sense. You can find it at SoundCloud. You can find it through your various podcatchers. It's on YouTube. And, hey, go to thisiscommonsense.org. Paul Jacob writes a column there five days a week.